on the count of three, say, thank God I'm not the youth pastor. One, two, three. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Man, that is a slew of kids. We might have to trade rooms with them. You adults better step it up. That's good. You guys have fun. Try to behave, but just have fun. All right, go to Matthew chapter 6, please, if you would. It's good to see you on this Wednesday night. I get a little more chance to make my way around and see folks on Wednesday, so I enjoy that for the most part. I enjoy it for the most part. Come on. You didn't catch that, did you? I do enjoy it. Sundays are hectic, um, and so I, I don't get to get around and see everybody on Sunday. But uh, that's what Wednesdays are for. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. Also, if you would, grab Ephesians 6. Matthew chapter 6 and Ephesians 6. I'll give you a second to find those two places. Um, so we, we, we started, I started, intending uh, just a few weeks ago to, to do one uh, lesson on the subject of bitterness. And as I told you then... If you were here, that I was approaching it as if you were sitting in a counseling session with me and we were just talking one-on-one, -on -one and I tried to handle it that way, uh, because the fact is, bitterness is something that we all struggle with. Let's just, let's, just, let's just get this out of the way right up front. Just be real transparent right out of the gate. Y'all ready? Um, there's actually a psychological term for it. I can't think of what it is, but, but the concept is once you notice something, it's like you notice it all the time. Sort of like if you buy a new vehicle, say you buy a new red pickup truck, you start noticing how many red pickup trucks are on the road. So it, it's also true when you begin seeing things, often even negative things about yourself, um, it, it, once you take notice of it, it's like you see it. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. So since we've talked about it, not that it's the first time that you've ever thought about the subject of bitterness, it's certainly not the first time I have thought about it or dealt with the subject of bitterness, but how many of you, since we started the study, have recognized it a little bit more in your life? My hand is raised because I literally have fought it myself ever since we started the series. In some ways, I think I've had to fight it harder. It's like I mentioned it, now all of a sudden, uh, you know, I've got to battle that thing again. And so, uh, so we started that, dealing with the subject of bitterness. Uh, bitterness is, is an acrid uh, spirit. It really is just this, it's this, it's this part of our nature uh, that once we, once we allow bitterness to take hold of our hearts, once it takes root, uh, to use the biblical word, uh, how bitterness would take root in your heart, once, once bitterness takes root, it seems to embitter everything else in your life. Um, to the point that you can't even enjoy the simple things that God would have you to enjoy, and um, it, it really just robs you of all virtue and, and all intrinsic value when it comes to the things of God and being in the presence of God. Uh, and then we sort of segued um, uh, or, or added to the subject of bitterness uh, by, by, by conveying that bitterness also is directly related to the subject of spiritual warfare. And the fact that we do have an enemy. Now, if the, if the subject of spiritual warfare makes you a little nervous, it shouldn't because even logic would dictate to us that there is evil in the world. So we understand that from the beginning, God is light and in him is, is no darkness at all. But there is darkness in, in the world and, and, and there's evil. And evil permeates through, through the hearts of humans who have subjected themselves to that 
And so we, we experience it and we're adversely affected by the darkness that's in the world. And so the Bible plainly reminds us several times that, that our battle is not with other people. It's not a flesh and blood battle. Every human being has been made in the likeness and image of God. Uh, unfortunately, some people have given themselves over to the powers of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and, and therefore they, they act out in evil ways and, and they become an instrument of evil. But we have to get back to the source and recognize that it's a spiritual battle. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do battle against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. And if we want to keep pulling that thread, we can get into some real deep conspiracy theories, but we're not going to do that tonight. Unless y'all want to. I'm always down, I'm always down for a good conspiracy theory. <laughs> but the problem is a lot of the conspiracy theories are no longer theories, but that's another subject for another time. Um, but, uh, but the reality is that when we, when we deal with bitterness, any area of our life that, we, that, we, that there is a weakness, if there's a breach in our armor, if there's, if there's, a, if there's an area in which we're sensitive, if there's an open wound, uh, you, can, you can bet your money that the enemy is going to attack you in that area. So for those of us who have a bit of a propensity toward bitterness, toward uh, being a, a little vengeful and angry, um, absolutely, the, uh, the devil is going to capitalize on that and take advantage of it and try to use that to steal the joy from your life to kill you and annihilate any good that God would want to bring through you. And then we, and then we segued. <laughs> this built up, didn't it? Um, oh, by the way, check it out. Making religious people nervous since 2017. So this is, this is the prototype. And uh, Kim was good enough after Sunday to go ahead and print a couple and have them sent in. And so uh, pretty awesome shirt, in my opinion. This is the maiden voyage. Thought I'd take it for a spin on a Wednesday night. But um, anyway, where were we? Oh, and then we started talking about how, how all of these things also have to, have to dovetail into the, the subject of prayer. And so this evening, my intent is to pick up right where we left off. This is all the introduction from the previous weeks that you're going to get. Uh, we're going to pick up right where we left off last Wednesday night. And uh, this, hopefully, my plan is that this will be the final installment in this little series. If it's not, you've got to wait two Wednesdays because John's coming next Wednesday night and preaching to you. I'm taking my Valentine out for Valentine's Day next Wednesday. And John said for, he couldn't get a date. I don't know what the deal is, but... Uh, <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> but bring your date to church next Wednesday night. Um, I was going to take mine to Jordan Peterson, but we'll see what happens. Um, anyway, uh, so go with me to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll read there, and then we're going to read over in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, let's start with a word of prayer. Our Father, we do want to bow our hearts in your presence. Lord, we, we're grateful for the privilege that we have to come before you. Father, thank you for giving us insight and wisdom that we couldn't attain on our own. Um, God, that your spirit speaks to us, and uh, as you articulated there in Ephesians, or rather 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, that, uh, that things that are hidden from, from our mortal eyes and minds can be revealed uh, in the person of your spirit and through the word. So tonight we pray that you do that. Please speak to us. Uh, we pray that you'd guide us into all truth. I pray that your truth would set us free, and God, that we could walk in that liberty. Please use this time to alter the course of our lives in a positive direction that we might fulfill our purpose for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Matthew chapter 5, or Matthew chapter 6 rather, beginning in verse number 5. We'll just sort of jump right in here. Jesus said, and when you pray, you shall not 
Be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. I want you to notice that they love to pray. Did you notice that? He said they love to pray, but they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street. Verse 6, but you when you pray, uh, go into your room and when you have shut the door, uh, pray to your father who is in secret in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly and when you pray do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do for they think that they will be heard for their many words therefore do not be like them for your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him in this manner therefore pray our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So if you stick around me for very long, um, I will probably, you'll probably hear me teach or preach on, on this passage uh, once a year at least, just because I feel like it's that important. And I'll explain more about that and why I think that way in just a little while. But now skip over to Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter number 6 and uh, verse number 11. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. It says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the tricks or the traps of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, I said I was going to pick right up where we left off last week. Last week, uh, the final point or final statement that I made was I said, prayer is warfare. Do you remember that statement? Prayer is warfare. And so Ephesians 6 is dealing precisely with the subject of spiritual warfare and we'll see more of that in just a moment as we walk through it. Um, but, but when it pertains to the subject of spiritual warfare, we can get very technical. Um, I can talk to you about the structure, um, how that the spiritual realm, is, is, it, it operates and functions by, by laws, just like the physical realm does. And we may dive into that someday. Uh, but tonight, I want to I deal specifically with this element of spiritual warfare. And that, it, and that is that when we talk about prayer, again, when we talk about prayer, we are dealing with spiritual warfare. When you pray, you are engaging in spiritual warfare. You're ascending beyond the realm of physical possibilities. You are entering into a space that, that cannot be altered or manipulated uh, by our physical efforts. It is, it, it is 100% a spiritual engagement, and we are engaging in an offensive battle against the powers of darkness. So that very evil that we discussed a few moments ago, uh, the way that we encounter that, the way that we attack, the way that we uh, can keep from being on our heels and be pushing forward is by learning to engage in prayer. So notice this with me in verse number 12. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God. It's cliche, but anytime you see the word therefore in the scriptures, you always ask the question, what is the therefore? See how cliche it is? Y'all knew that. 
So when you see, we see the word therefore, it's always reflective. It's, it's, it's looking back in hindsight to what has already been stated. So in, in, the, in reference to spiritual warfare, he says, here's what we do. Therefore, because we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, because we do wrestle with principalities, powers, and the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, because of that, verse number 13, he says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, verse 14, stand therefore. So I said to you before, sometimes in these, in these battles, and, and frankly, um, some of my sermons get sort of mixed up in my head, and I don't know if it was a Sunday or a Wednesday that I said this, but I said there are times when all you can do is stand. Was that last Wednesday night? Thank you for paying better attention than I do. Uh, but I said there, there'll come times when, when you're under such pressure, when, when life is bearing down in such a way that, that, that frankly, all you can do is batten down the hatches and just hold on, <laughs> right? You ever been there? Um, and so he said, when you've done all that, having done everything you can do to stand, don't stop standing. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't drop your gloves. Take a beating for a minute if you have to, but trust me, joy is coming in the morning and Jesus is going to step through as the champion of all champions and fight the battle for you. And so, we, and so Paul is, is explaining to us that we, we need to engage, we need to understand what it is to engage in a spiritual battle. But, but uh, okay, so another, another little quick survey. How many of you have ever heard a sermon or a series on the armor of God? About the, we're going to read it in just a moment. Um, I've heard many. I've actually read books. I've got a great book series on the, on the armor of God that was written in the 1800s. Ex- excellent, excellent study on the subject of spiritual warfare, uh, specifically uh, this passage. But, but the reality is often I've, I've heard that and I've, I've walked through it myself piece by piece and I've tried to explain. And, and, and certainly uh, each article of the, of the armor of God has its own explanation. There's significance to all of it. But what I'm going to show you in just a moment is the application of it is prayer. And, and this is where I always got a, a not, not sidetracked with the subject, but I, I would get a little confused because we talk about all these articles of the armor, but then I would, and I, maybe I'm overly pragmatic, but I think, well, how in the heck do we, you know what I'm saying? How do I put on the helmet of salvation? What's that about? How do I put on the breastplate of righteousness? How do I, how do I fight with the shield of faith? How do I, you know, the sword of the spirits, the word of God, obviously, but what am I, am I fighting demons like this, Right? swatting flies with the Bible. I've been to churches where they do that. Woo! <laughs> right? <laughs> Waving their Bible. But the, the fact is, old, old Baptist, Southern Baptist people. Uh, but, but the reality is everything that we're going to read in just a moment is, is engaged through prayer. Prayer is the catalyst uh, it, it, through which we, we, we carry these things out. So read with me in verse 14. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now I want you to watch this. You all ready? Very quickly, I am, again, this is not, a, uh, this is not a, 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 an exposition of this passage. It's not, I'm not trying to spend a whole lot of time here, but, but just look what we got covered, all right? Helmet, got that? Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, sword of the Spirit. My feet are covered. What's not covered? Oh, yeah, the belt, sorry. Got to keep your britches up. It gets harder the older you get, doesn't it? 
talking spiritual stuff here, though, folks. Helmet, start over. I forgot the belt. Helmet, breastplate, chest is covered, heart's covered, shield, sword, belt, feet are covered. What's not covered? Your legs. So, here's where we engage. Verse 18, he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. You know how you can be fully covered? Now I'm covered. Every piece of the armor is engaged through prayer. We talk about protecting your mind. How do you protect your mind? Through prayer. Talk about protecting your heart. That's the breastplate of righteousness. Metaphorically speaking, how do you protect your heart? Through prayer. Talk about preparing to share the gospel, being ready to give a witness to anybody who needs to hear how they can be born again by the grace of God. How do we prepare for that? Well, we prepare through prayer. How do I engage the Word of God? Well, the best way to pray in the Spirit is to know the Word of God and be able to recite the Word of God and cash in the promises of God in prayer. And so prayer is the key. I kind of wish I hadn't worked legs yesterday. Um, <laughs> prayer is the key to engaging every piece of the armor. Prayer is warfare. And so when we get to verse 18, he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Supplication, just we could elaborate again on the word if we want to exegete, but, but supplication simply means to be submitting, having a, a, a spirit of supplication, a spirit of submission in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. As for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that, I, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul esteemed prayer to be the most valuable thing that anyone could invest in his life. So much so that when he said, look, if you don't have anything to pray for, pray for me. Don't forget to pray for me because I want to I continue to be able to speak God's truth and speak God's word with authority and boldness and power. All of that is engaged through prayer. So how do we engage in a spiritual battle? We engage by seeking God in a place of prayer. So if, if, if we're like the disciples, I think sometimes we want to know how to pray. Frankly, if I'm going to pray, I want to pray the right way, Right? So now go to Matthew chapter number six, <clears throat> excuse me, Matthew chapter six, <clears throat> and we're going to look again here and sort of walk through some of these passages. Have you ever just asked the question, just thought, sometimes, I don't know, sometimes I think stuff, ask questions, I think maybe sometimes they're stupid questions, sometimes they're appropriate, but, but why do we pray? What's the point? Now, I know, again, in church, that should seem like um, a dumb question. That really should seem dumb, right, for Christians to ask, why do we pray? But if we, if we would take off our, 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 our church facade for just a second, the fact is I think we've all probably asked the question. Or at least at, point, at different times we have felt like prayer was pointless or we weren't gaining anything through prayer. Or when we prayed, our prayers were not being heard, or we were not. You ever heard the, the statement, my prayers didn't get above the ceiling? We, sometimes we feel like when we pray, we're just, we're just sort of monologuing 
into open air and just dead space and that, that God is there, but he's not really hearing and maybe we're not making a connection and maybe we're not engaging. So then why do we pray? Well, it's important that we ask that question because what does motivate a person to pray? Now in verse five, I pointed out just a moment ago, it's Jesus said, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. So he said, so he said, they do have a motive and they have motivation for they love to pray. They love it. They love to talk about prayer. They love to tell you how much they pray. In fact, they love for you to hear them pray. He said they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. So if you ask a hypocrite or a Pharisee why they pray and they are to be honest, which they wouldn't be, but if they were to be honest, the true answer is that they like to pray so they can be seen. So Jesus said, don't pray like that, right? Prayer is not a performance, you're not, you're not, you, you shouldn't be trying to impress anyone with your prayers. You ought to be praying in a way that's sincere. And, and as I pointed out last week, there's nothing wrong with praying publicly. Uh, people take this to, to, to a, a, a degree or a level that Jesus never intended. They, well, I just, I never pray publicly. I don't give in public. I don't. That's not at all what he said. He just said, went, what, he just said check your heart and make sure your motive is right, that you're not doing it to be seen or heard, that you're not trying to garner some kind of just facade or glory for yourself. He said, when you pray, don't, don't pray like that. So, so if we ask the question, which we asked last week, is there a wrong way to pray? There absolutely is. <laughs> there is a wrong way to pray. Praying to receive recognition is absolutely wrong. And Jesus said, don't pray like that. And so why do we pray? Why do we seek God in prayer? Well, I think, I think maybe for this crowd, because I don't see any hypocrites or Pharisees here tonight. Most of y'all look like pretty normal folk. Oh, well, there's, oh, anyway, most of you look like pretty normal people. I think the more appropriate question is why don't we pray? I, I think it's, I th I've always found it, for, for many years I, I noticed this, how, how Jesus kind of just, just presupposed that his people would want to pray. Because he didn't say, if you pray. He said, when you pray. I personally believe that, that prayer is as natural for someone who is possessed and indwelt by God's spirit as it is for a baby to cry out when they're hungry. I believe that the spirit of God, well, I'm saying this as if I made it up, Romans chapter 8 says that his spirit within us groans. That there's this, there's this groaning, there's this motion, there's this movement that God's spirit... Listen, we were designed for communion with God. We were designed to be in fellowship with God. So no doubt, as, as believers who have put our faith in Christ, when his spirit came to live within us, his spirit cries from within us. Again, as Paul said to quote Romans chapter number 8, he says that his spirit cries from within us, Abba, Father... The Spirit of God dwelling in us wants us to communicate with Him, wants us to be in fellowship with Him, wants us to talk with Him. It's crazy that the God of all creation wants to hear your voice. But so Jesus said, when you pray, I expect that you will. I trust that there'll be a desire in you to be in communion with the God who made you and saved you. So when you pray, pray like this. So then, so then why don't we pray? What, what holds us back from having a productive prayer life? Now, again, the answer to that 
is as unique as every person sitting here. We might all have our own unique reasons that we struggle with prayer. I would say, frankly, again, if I'm, if I'm just being just abundantly transparent, prayer has been historically in my life one of the most difficult things to maintain. I've, I've always loved to study the Bible. I got to thinking about it the other day. I keep saying, well, I've been a Christian for 22 years. It's been like 25 years. It's nuts. But I've been in the Bible. I, I made a commitment. I'm not saying you should do this, but, but, but soon after I got, I got saved and became a Christian, I heard a preacher talk about how Jesus said, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so, uh, you know, back in one of them good old Baptist uh, revival meetings, I went to the altar and I prayed that night and I said, and I committed, I promised to God that I'd spend an hour a day in my Bible. I was 19 years old. And, 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 I, and I began to do that, and I began to dig in, I began to study God's Word, and so I've been digging in for all these years, and so I, I enjoy study. I like to study. I like to read. I like to get into different things and, and dig up truth. It, it, it really thrills me. There's something about it. I just enjoy digging up truth, but man, prayer, Whew. It's, been a, it's been a struggle at different times. Now, if you're sitting here judging me, you better stop right now. But I've struggled with prayer. And as I've already stated, I think one of the major hindrances to prayer is that like so many other things, I know this is true in my life, like so many other things in the Christian life, we have complicated it. Now I said that last week, and so it's not the first time you heard it. So you can nod at me when I say stuff that you agree with. Would you agree that we've complicated prayer? That's what held me back. I would read, and I'm telling you, I've, I've lost count. And my, again, I'm not saying that to, to boast, but I've lost count how many books I've read on the subject of prayer. I could quote many of the great uh, authors on the subject of prayer throughout history. And I've read, I've read these volumes of books on the subject of prayer and God's power and understanding all of that. And, and the truth is it just got, it got super complicated for me. And I thought, man, I don't have the attention span to pray like A.W. Tozer. I don't have the attention span to, 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 to be in, in one place on my face for hours on end. Now, I've done it, and there have been times in my life that I was driven to that point, and, it, and, and time flew by, hours flew by like minutes, but, but I'm talking about to discipline myself, to, to make myself kneel and stay in one place for hours on end. That's just unfathomable to me. I can't, look, I can't pay attention even when I'm talking. You know what I'm saying? I get sidetracked in, in the middle of my own sentences. And so if you can imagine talking to God where I can't see him, I can't necessarily physically feel his presence, and, and I don't physically hear his voice, it's, it's been very difficult for me at times to maintain a level of focus when as in reality, as we read just a moment ago in Ephesians chapter 6, God never put a timeline on the amount of time we spend in prayer. In fact, he said, pray always. Pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. I'd love to talk to you more about praying in the Spirit, but we'll get that at another time. But the point is that, that when he said pray always, that indicates to me that God doesn't expect me to be laid down on my face or in, 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 a, in, a, in a posture of prayer 24-7, but it does mean that God wants to hear from me 24 hours a day, and I can talk to him anytime. I can talk to him driving down the road. I can talk to him when I'm walking. I can, I can, I can pray and chew gum. 
You know what I'm saying? That's impressive. I pray while I preach. Sometimes when I'm talking to you, I'm talking to him. Because what, what we can do is we can learn what it is to engage with God and be in communion with him on a consistent basis where, where we can talk to him in any given moment. And that concept is established here in Matthew chapter number five. So one, one hindrance is I think that it's complicated. I think we've overcomplicated the subject of prayer. And as I mentioned before, I wish somebody would count how many words are in the model prayer for me because I should have done that and had it here for you. But the, but the way Jesus taught us to pray, the prayer that he gave to us as a pattern for prayer is very short. It's, we're not talking about, about pages and pages. When Jesus taught us to pray, he gave us this very simple prayer, this very simple outline to follow. And so it's not complicated. Prayer is not a complicated subject. It's really not. I think another reason that could be that hinders us from praying is that we often want instant results. And, and, and though I believe, hear me out, that the moment we take prayer seriously, we can begin to see positive changes. Much of the things that we seek in prayer are going to take time. And we live in such an instantaneous society. Don't act like you don't. Even, look, even some of y'all with your hair starting to fade, you've gotten sucked into this vortex too, where we want instant everything. We want instant results. If my popcorn takes more than two minutes, 30 seconds, I'm losing my mind, right? We want everything now. If I'm hungry, I want fast food. I want something now. I don't want to wait. And we're unfortunately, we've allowed that to bleed into our spiritual life. And prayer is not something that you will physically see results immediately. You're not going to. In fact, I, I'd share this story with you. Uh, I prayed for my sister for over 20 years. Over 20 years, I know what most of you are thinking. You're thinking, man, you're not even old enough to be praying that long. And I know. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. But from the time I got saved, when I, was, when I became a Christian at 19 years old, I, I, my heart was burdened for my family. And I began to pray for my family and, and my sister in particular. I began to pray for her. And I prayed for her for over 20 years before I saw any real evidence of God's hand at work in her life. She was an unbeliever. And she had a, a pretty negative opinion of church and Christianity. So when I became a Christian and then within just a few months said that I was going to be a preacher, boy, we didn't get along real well. It wasn't my fault this time. I'd done a lot of stupid stuff before that that was. But she, she simply didn't like me. Be, she didn't like that I was going to be a preacher. She despised. My wife can, can tell you she despised church. She despised Christianity, of course, there were little hiccups along the way that made her not like it even more in some cases, and uh, certain things I, I couldn't do because, because I was a Christian and dedicated to Christ. I couldn't perform my niece's wedding because they asked me not to say Jesus since she was marrying a Jew, and I said, I can't do that. I can't perform your wedding. if I can't, I can't, do, I can't do a ceremony and not mention the name of Jesus. I won't do it. I'm not going to not pray in Jesus' name. And so there were things through the years that created these barriers and these walls, and, and she was just very unapproachable on the subject of, of Christ and Christianity. Well, let me tell you what God did in my sister's life. You got time for a story? Years ago, I had the privilege of, of sharing the gospel with, with her son, my nephew. And Nick would go on to trust Christ as Savior, but 
He was never baptized. That's a whole other story in and of itself. In fact, he was, he was a teenager, and she wouldn't let him get baptized. He wanted to follow Christ in baptism, and, and my sister forbade it. I was going to take him to church the next Sunday and baptize him. But she said no, and uh, Nick wound up living a very rough life, struggling with addiction and, and other substance abuse, and, uh, and just really hit rock bottom. And three years ago, my nephew called me, and he wanted to make his faith public by following in believer's baptism. And I said, dude, that's awesome, buddy. We'd been talking back and forth. Nick was at the time 34 years old. Again, I know, I look young to have a nephew that old. Uh, but we were fairly close in age. And, uh, but I said, yeah, dude, that's awesome. Uh, let, let's get you on the schedule. And uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm happy to baptize you. I said, hey, uh, now, my sister lives in Florida, um, but I said, I said, man, tell your sisters, tell them to come out, let your dad know. His dad still lives in the area. I said, let your dad know, man, invite everybody. And Nick, you have to know my nephew. Nick said, nope, it's between me and God. I'm not inviting anybody, Uncle Matt. I just want you to baptize me. I ain't telling anybody about it. It's just between me and the Lord, and that's the way I want to do it. And I said, okay, it's up to you, bud. And so I didn't tell anybody, respected his wishes. So that Sunday morning... Was that in 21? 20? No, it had to be 21. COVID happened in 20. It was in 21. I'm on the stage on Sunday morning, and of course, Nick came in late. I watched him walk in during the song service. He found a place over here to my left. I watched him sit down. I kind of, hey, you know, gave him the high sign that I, that I saw him there and had the baptistry already. And so I'm in, we're in the middle of the worship service talking about how God answers prayers over a very long period of time. It's 20 plus years praying for my sister. Her son is in church on Sunday morning. To my knowledge, she's in Florida. So I see Nick sitting there. Well, I get up to preach, and lo and behold, my sister who lives in Florida walks in the back door and sits on the right side, having no knowledge that her son was sitting on the other. She didn't even know he was in the room. She had driven up from Florida to surprise me. And so she popped in on a Sunday morning thinking she was going to surprise me, and I'm sitting there going, oh, my God. what are you doing? And so I got through the message. The whole time they never saw each other. The old building, of course, were packed in like sardines. And at the end of the service, Nick comes up on stage. That's the first time my sister saw him and even knew that he was there when he got up to get baptized. And she witnessed her son, whom she had not allowed to get baptized 15 years earlier. To stand, he watched him stand there and profess his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and little did we know later that year we would lose Nick. And my sister now to this day watches us every Sunday. If you get on our Facebook page, watch our Facebook Live every Sunday, and you see Lori Valentine saying, preach it, brother. That's my sister who has now come to Jesus herself. It's not, listen, you're not going to get instant results, but prayer shifts and changes the atmosphere of people's lives. You're engaging in a battle for human souls in many cases. We're moving heaven and earth by calling on the one who can make a difference in people's lives. So why don't we pray? Why don't we seek God? Why don't we trust him? We say, well, I prayed and nothing happened. Maybe you prayed and, and got what you needed instead of what you wanted. And so Jesus said, but you, verse 6, 
when you pray, enter your closet. You can pray publicly. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't let that be the bread and butter of your prayer life. When you pray, enter your closet. Go to a secret place. Go to a place where it's just you and him. Now, this is figuratively speaking. You don't have to get in your closet. Right? You understand the concept that Jesus is teaching here. He summarizes in the last part of verse number 6 because he says, Pray to your Father who sees in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And that's the whole concept of the thing. It's not about entering into a closet or having a special prayer room. If you got that, good. That's awesome. But you don't need it. You hear me? He's, he's, he's explaining to us that prayer is so powerful that you can say things to God that you never say to another human being and he will hear you and he will answer you. That you can express, can you imagine what would change in our lives if we talked to God more about our problems than we talk to people? Now, if you're at all like me, and I hope in most ways you're not, but I like to gripe. Anybody else like a good gripe? I like to complain a little bit. I don't know why. I think I got it from my mama. But the reality is, if we would learn how to, to bring our problems to the Lord, this is where faith steps in. If we would learn what it is to bring our problems, our needs before the Lord, and, and as, as his word says, to cast all of our care on him, listen to this statement, cast all your care on him because he cares for you. Have you ever felt like God didn't care? Have you ever felt like God wasn't listening? Have you ever felt like when you talked, you were just talking in open air and space and it was going nowhere? The Bible says just the opposite. That when you pray to your Father in the secret place, He hears you and He will reward you openly. And so if I'm going to pray, I want to pray effectively. If there's a wrong way to pray, I want to know the right way to pray. If I'm going to take my time to talk to God, I want to make sure that I'm praying effectively. So, so here's, the, here's, here's the reality. I'm going to skip part of this. All right? Can we do that? I'm going to skip a part in the middle so hopefully I can get to the rest of it. But, but I, I, want to, I want to break this down. And as I said, if you follow me for very long, you've heard me teach on the, the Lord's Prayer. or I prefer to call it the model prayer. Either one's fine. But, but, but I, I, I think it's important to circle back to this on a regular basis because it essentially, now, now think about it, the one you're praying to, hear me out, said when you do it, do it this way. Pretty good, huh? I want you to talk to me, and when you talk to me, here's how you do it, right? So, so keep in mind that, that we're looking at prayer in its proper place as a preemptive military strike. You remember me saying that last week? That prayer is a preemptive strike. Most Christians use prayer as a defense mechanism. We're usually on our heels, and then we start to pray. Say, oh, God, help me, help me, help me. Help me, Jesus, right? Jesus, take the wheel. When stuff's starting to spin out, then we begin to pray. And we use prayer as a defensive response 
to an outside stimulus or problem when the reality is we should be engaging in prayer as a preemptive military strike in this spiritual battle that we're fighting. And so as we walk through this, and we're going to walk through it very quickly, I, I, want you to be, I want you to keep in mind that we're dealing with prayer as a preemptive military strike. First thing that we see, and, and when I say I prefer the term model prayer, I don't mind calling it the Lord's Prayer. In fact, I usually refer to it as that because that's what most people, how most people know it. I think the model prayer is a little more precise of a description of what Jesus gave us because it was, it, it's not intended, though most of us, I hope, have committed it to memory at some point. I learned this prayer when I was a little kid. I learned it in King James, by the way. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? It's trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Right? Our Father who art in heaven. Do you need me to go in the preacher voice? Hallowed be thy name. So Jesus did not give us. He never indicates to us that this is a prayer to be recited. Now, let me quickly say, I think it's good to recite it because here's why I have taught my kids this. This is why I do this. When I don't know how to pray, if, I got, if I'm blanking out, which is not very often, but <laughs> if I start, it's okay. If I start with just reciting the, the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, and I start to let that engage, let my, let my heart, let that, let that thing start to, start to take, get a little traction in my heart, then, then it feels so natural just to segue into other things. And that's, so for that reason, I think it's good to know it by heart, be able to recite it, because often it has inspired me to, to pray. But, but let me just break it down. Can I give you the kind of just the outline that Jesus gave us very quickly? Um, first of all, I want to say that, that in prayer, we discover God's power. Now, right out of the, the gate, Jesus says, in this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed means to be holy, that his name is above every other name. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, very obviously, there's a good reason why Jesus told us to enter into prayer in this fashion. We have to recognize when we pray that we're approaching God's throne. That's the concept. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we approach God's throne. What is God's throne? Well, God's throne represents his majesty, his authority, his absolute sovereignty. And it's literally just a prayer away. The sovereignty, the majesty, the power of Almighty God is, is literally a prayer away. All we have to do is call on Him and approach Him. 
and understand that when we do, we're entering into his throne room and he's holy and he's beautiful and he's wonderful and he has all authority in heaven and earth that Jesus took away the keys of hell and death and he resurrected, conquering all things that, that keep us in bondage and set us free from sin. He's the master. He's the majesty. He's the Lord of all lords. And he said, come to me and approach me in prayer and understand that when you do, you are coming into the presence of the greatest power in heaven and in earth. Can I, can I mince words for just a moment? God is not a higher power. Now, I did flunk English class a couple times in ninth grade, eighth grade, ninth grade. But I know the difference between higher and highest. Jesus is the highest power in heaven and earth. And he said, when you pray, you are approaching the most powerful being in all of creation because you're entering into the presence of the one who's created it all. Now, that sounds scary if we think about it literally. If you think about entering into the presence of royalty whatsoever... It's intimidating, right? I've never been around royalty. Have you? Never met a king or a queen or a prince? I did marry a princess, but that was good, wasn't it? Man, it just came to me. It ain't even Valentine's Day and I'm being all like, like romantical. But if I did have the opportunity to enter into the presence of royalty, I'd be nervous. I'd be a little trepidatious. But here's the beautiful part. Jesus said, before you get to that royalty, remember, he's your father. Our father. It's one of the most beautiful statements in all the word of God. That the king of glory is my father. And I don't have to be nervous in the presence of my daddy. I don't have to be nervous because he's already accepted me. He's already drawn me in. He's already made everything right in my life that's necessary to approach him. And so I can enter into his presence without fear and without trembling, though there is a high level of respect and a high level of honor that should be in our hearts. We also can approach him understanding that we can talk to him just like we would talk to a loving parent, a loving father. So hear me out. How else, talking about the power of God, how else are we supposed to get our old destructive nature out of the way? I wanted you to keep in mind that we're talking about prayer as a preemptive strike in a battle, right? We're, we're launching atomic bombs over enemy lines when we pray. And so how am, how am I, how are you, how are we supposed to Get our old destructive nature out of the way because effectively that's most of the time what stops us from praying effectively, right? How, how, how are people like us? Some of roughnecks in this room. I'm looking at you. How are people like us supposed to get our old toxic habits out of the way and live a genuine Christian life? I don't mean a hypocritical life. I don't mean a phony baloney, fake it till you make it. I'm talking about sincere genuine, spiritual, spirit-led life. How are we supposed to do that when the reality is we fight this physical nature constantly? Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse number 21, 
He said, I find then a law that the evil is present with me. Now, Paul was one of the greatest men of God that's ever walked the earth, greatest preacher, one of the greatest of the 12 apostles, amazing, amazingly used of God. And yet Paul said, every day of my life, I am, I am plagued with the very presence of evil itself. Every time I want to do good, evil is present with me. The one who wants to do good. Have you ever found that in your life? You ever just, you, you ever just make some choices, make some decisions? You know what? I'm going to do better in this area. Man, that's like... That's like waving a, a, a red blanket at a bull, isn't it? Because when you make that decision, I'm going to do better. I'm going to make amends. I'm gonna, hey, tomorrow's a new day. New day, new me, right? I'm going to do better. New, 2024 is going to be my year. Whenever we set out to do good, we, we begin, it opens the floodgates for attack in that area, Right? So Paul said, every time I want to do good, I find that evil is present with me. Verse 22, he said, I delight in the law of God. According to the inward man, I want to do the right thing. I feel like most of us in this room want to do the right thing. In any given scenario, I'd like to make the right choice. I'd like to have the right response. I'd like to say the right thing, behave properly. But this is where I live most of the time. I see another law in my members, my physical body warring against the law of my mind and that thing brings me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members so really the evil that i'm battling that's present with me always is agitating all this stuff that's already inherent to my nature <laughs> right all that bitterness all that vengeance all that anger all that wrath all that jealousy all those quarrels and fightings and Everything else, all the plethora of sin that we could throw on top of that as a descriptive uh, uh, term, we realize that it's all there and the enemy is really just, is just inciting it and, and, and inspiring it by agitating us with an outside stimulus. When I want to do good, evil is present with me. He said, and there's this law that, that wars within me. In verse 24, we see Paul crying out in anguish. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. How many wretches are in the room? Man, I feel like such a freaking wretch sometimes. Don't you? I thought I was preaching the Wednesday night crowd. I thought this was the honest crowd. Man, I'm, I'm jacked up. Stuff I think about, things I want to do, boy. People tick me off. Y'all get mad at folk? Man, I get mad sometimes. And I know I talk about that a lot, but it's one of the more comfortable sins to talk about. We struggle with other things too, but anger is kind of funny when you're not mad because you feel like an idiot later, <laughs> right? So here's what Paul said in verse 24, just this, just this deep confession. Again, I'm so thankful that God left all this stuff in the Bible. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. I'm the problem. I've got problems. I got issues. I struggle. Dead gummit. I'm a mess without the Lord. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Notice what he says next. I thank God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So with the mind I myself serve the law of God. This physical nature still is bound by sin. But because of this 
access that I have into the presence of God, I can, can, I can transcend even my own nature. Listen to me. We can't manifest the attributes of God's spirit in the power and energy of our physical nature. You don't have the capability to love people well. On your own, you don't. I don't have the capability in a dark season to have joy. It's not natural. I'm not a peaceful person by nature. I'm not a patient person by nature. We're, if you're not aware, I'm just listing off the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians 5. I'm not patient. I'm not peaceful by nature. None of, us, none of those things that the Bible says are the evidence of someone who's filled with the Spirit. None of those things are natural. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. You threw me off, Alfred. But y'all know the rest of them. None of those things are natural to us, and we have to get ourselves out of the way. The only way that we can actually live those things out and manifest the evidence of the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the Spirit. How do I get filled with the Spirit? You talk to Him. You pray and say, Father in heaven, you're so holy. I want your kingdom to come in my life. I want your will to be done in me just like it is in heaven. I, I want you to manipulate every molecule that surrounds me. I want you to move. I want you to move my mind, move my heart. Help me to have the right response to that fool that says something stupid to me later. Prepare me. Get me ready. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what I'm going to encounter, God, but I, I want to seek you and I want you to guide me. I want your will to be done on this earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to give you this really fast. I, I was going to cut it off, but I can't. I'm going to give you it real quick. And, and blame the people who say they don't mind hearing me preach long when this is over. It's their fault that I'm going to finish this. But, but notice what he says in verse number 11. I'm going to hit these really fast. But we see prayer and God's provision in verse number 11. He says, give us this day our daily bread. It's not about bread. It's about God knowing what you need before you need it. Did you hear me? Give us this day our daily bread. It's not about bread. It's about God knowing what you need before you need it. This is why we should seek him in the morning. This is why it ought to be a part of your morning routine. I'm not saying this in a legalistic way. It's only legalism if, if it's not relational. It's only legalism if you're just going through the motions. Having a daily routine and being disciplined is not legalistic. We need to be disciplined. It's the root word of disciple. I think. I made that up. Anyway. <laughs> but I don't know from day to day, and you don't either, what is going to happen that day that I'm going to need God. And this is why I say that prayer should be a preemptive strike. We ought to be seeking God, and I think this is the concept that Jesus laid out. Give us this day our daily bread. The concept is that I don't know what I'm going to need later. I don't know what response I'm going to have to have. I, I don't know who's going to say what. I don't know what phone call I'm going to get. I don't know what is going to happen in that day. So I want to make sure that my life is surrendered to him, that I've been seeking his will, seeking his kingdom, asking him in faith, to move my day, guide my day, understanding, as the psalmist said, that when we pray that way, we can also have confidence that this is the day that the Lord has made. I can rejoice and be glad in it. Now, if you're not seeking him in prayer, you can't say that. There's a reason why Jesus said to pray for the kingdom of Christ to come into your life. There's a reason why Jesus said for you to ask for the will of God to be done in your life. The reason is that he's not going to impose himself. 
against your will. But if we with a heart of supplication and submission and humility will call on him and ask for his kingdom to be manifested in our lives, he said that'll happen and he'll give you what you need for the day. The wisdom that you need, the provision that you need. Prayer in God's pardon. Notice verse number 12. I'm trying to rush. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to make a statement that will conceptualize what I'm trying to say or what, more importantly, verse 12 is saying. And that is that you've, you, you, you've, you've got to let loose before you can be let loose. Does that make any sense? You've got to let loose before you can be let loose. We did this whole series, this whole talk about bondage, the bondage of bitterness. You are not living in the liberty of Christ if you're holding a grudge. If you're bitter, if you're angry with people, if you're holding on to some hurt, you are not living in the freedom that Jesus died on the cross to give you. Jesus set you free so that you could be fully free. And as recipients of the grace of God, our lifestyle and attitude toward others should be that of grace. Now, I've said this before. I don't need to beat this dead horse. But, but if you're holding on to something and not forgiving, you're not hurting the person who hurt you. You're, you are just allowing them to continue to hurt you, and you're remaining tethered to that pain. And so the reason why Jesus said, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors was not some ultimatum that, well, you can't be forgiven if you don't forgive. He said, you can't be fully free. and You can't walk in the liberty that Jesus died to give you if you're still holding on to the bitterness and the pain. And then let me give you this. Prayer and God's protection in verse number 13. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. Prayer is warfare. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I think that last little part might just be a reminder to the devil himself that his power has been vanquished through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we pray, when we pray, the enemy loses power in our lives. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Whatever area you're weak in, you'll be tempted in. Wouldn't be a temptation if it didn't look good, right? You know how you catch fish? You find out what allures them, and you put it before them, and you jig it just right, or you let it sit there. And they can't resist. And that's exactly what the enemy will do to us. So part of our daily prayer should be, lead us not into temptation. Here's some, here's some deep praying for you. You ready? I'm going to share a little bit of something I pray quite often. I say something like this. It's very eloquent. I don't want you to be too impressed with me, but just prepare yourself. I say things like, Lord, you know how stupid I am. I'm so dumb. In certain areas, I'm just dumb. I am. I can get caught up and a bunch of nonsense and drama. I know me. I know what tempts me. I know, I know where I'm weak. Lord, you know where I'm weak. So just don't let me find myself in a place 
where I am susceptible to that temptation. Deliver me from evil. Here's a beautiful promise that the Bible gives us. It says that you will never be tempted above what you're able to bear, but within the temptation, within that situation, God will always show you the exit. God will always make a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. So don't ever blame the temptation if you give into it, because if you're seeking God, he gave you a way out. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. If you don't have that prayer recite or memorized, I would encourage you to memorize it. You saw I'm bad at memorization. Get you some three-by-five cards. That's old school. Use your phone. But find a way to commit it to memory, not so that you can recite it thoughtlessly. It's not a bad place to start. If you don't know how to pray, start there. But start filling in the blanks. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, what do you need today? There are things I don't know what I need, but there are things I do know that I'm going to need today. And so ask for them specifically. Lead me not into temptation. Well, I don't know what's going to tempt me, but I do know some things that do tempt me. So, Father, help me in this specific area and talk about that. And talk to him as you would a loving, benevolent, gracious, compassionate father, because that's exactly who he is. He is the king on the throne who's sovereign over absolutely everything. And the best thing God can give you is for his will to be unveiled in your life, even above your own. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much this time that we've had together this evening. I pray that you would help us to be people of prayer. We want to see the atmosphere in our community shift. Father, we want to see your kingdom prevail. I'm tired of seeing lives ravaged by the enemy. I'm tired of seeing the destruction 